0: Good morning, MRCC. Happy Ugly Sweater Day. Would you join us as we have a little Christmas fun this morning? Hey! <laughs> Those us presents with joy filled noise this morning, Lord. Hey! We like to resound today, church. Sure. Hey. Shepherds kept and watching. surrender, church. There is a light that burns in the darkness. That's right. There is a hope that washes the fear away. Thank you, Jesus. There is a peace that settles around us. Yeah. It is a love that sets our hearts ablaze. We surrender before you now, Lord. We're on our knees With every heart Bring him incense gold direction. Where are you putting in your heart as treasure? Did you see his word says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so as we sing that chorus one more time, sing to your Savior. Offer him the gift of your heart. But this is Christ the King and he is here. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God Yes. Mm-hmm. This morning, and on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws me, and my time has come. Still, my soul will sing your praise.
1: praise this morning. We worship you for the God of Christmas, the God who comes near, the word becomes flesh. You make your dwelling among us. God, we worship you, the God who steps down among us, and we praise you this morning, and we celebrate you. On this Christmas week, Lord, we marvel at the manger, at your heart, at your desire for us. And we receive the gift that you give, the gift of a Savior. <laughs> makes us unafraid of eternity, unafraid of the future. God, we praise you this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. And friends, as a family, as his family, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, let's, let's pray together the way that Jesus taught us to. Would you pray with me? Our Father, We bow our heads together right now to pray for healing in our land. Our our land needs a Savior, God. We need to be saved from sickness in body. We need to be saved from sickness in spirit. And, And that's your heart to save, God, we pray for our land. We thank you for the gift of a Savior available to whoever is willing to receive you. God, we think of those in this season who are wrestling with sickness. We pray for healing in Jesus' name. God, we think of those who are wrestling with sadness. I think of a mother who just a couple of weeks ago lost a daughter. We pray for your comfort, Jesus. And we ask that as we turn the corner into this Christmas week, you would capture us with the wonder of the truth of Christmas that God comes seeking us becomes one of us that you Lord come for us we pray for that and we ask it together in Jesus name amen, amen. it is great to see you friends welcome uh, I think this was the fastest year in the history of the world we're already at Christmas would you turn and greet the person next to you make sure they feel welcome say hi introduce yourself Again, and, and welcome, special welcome to everybody joining us on the live stream right now from your home or your hotel or wherever you are. We're thrilled that you're with us. The band got a little crazy. They're breaking out a little, I think that was R&B this morning, wasn't that in first? Yeah, yeah, that was all right. That was all right. That was good. We should be rejoicing at this time of year. Amen boy we should be the, the story of Christmas is so amazing. I grew up not in a church tome I didn't grow up knowing the real story and, and when I first heard it as a young man I was like, I'll never forget it. I was like you mean you mean God became one of us and uh, I kind of haven't gotten over it since but it's amazing amazing stuff welcome this morning hope that you have a wonderful Christmas weekend planned. Uh, All of you who ventured out this morning in ugly Christmas sweaters, you get special praise this morning. Thank you for that. Matter of fact, um, we have have a little contest in every service, and, you know, Pastor Dave is the chairman, treasurer, secretary, and comprises the entire judgment committee all by himself, (laughs) and so... He lets me know who our our winners were this morning. We got some little gifts for them. We've already gave them to us, but we thought we'd share with everybody. So first prize in second service went to Barbette Armstrong. Where's Barbette? Would you stand up real quick, Barbette? There we go. First prize went to Barbette. Yep, she's a winner. (laughs) Comes with batteries, I see, or you just move your feet real fast a lot. And then uh, Brittany Burgess. Where's Brittany? She, she got our, our runner-up. Where's Brittany? she back there? Yep. I think she's got antlers back there. Yes, yes. Very nice. Yep. Uh, Holly Cobal and Stephanie Edwards as well. Honorable mention. And thanks to everybody. And a special thanks to all of you who just felt led of the Lord to come and share with me your ugly cat sweater. Several of you did that. And... <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, Snoopy's not a big fan, but I, I, I appreciate your heart in that. It's Christmas. Let me let, let me share, friends, a few uh, a few quick announcements with you before we open God's Word together. One of them is that this Friday evening, Christmas Eve, we will be hosting our Christmas Eve candlelight communion. We didn't get to do this last year, so we're excited that we get to again this year. So it's a great way to step out into kind of your family's celebration. We come together, sing some Christmas hymns together. We receive communion and then we finish by singing Silent Night by Candlelight and head out into the evening. We'll have uh, coffee and cookies and cider and stuff like that. It's about 40 minutes long. And that'll happen at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. We try to do it early in the evening so everybody can go home and be with their families. It's proven to be very popular over the last few years. So, hope you'll come and join us this Friday on Christmas Eve for one of those services. And by the way, because those are happening on Friday evening, we won't be having an in person Sunday morning service. There will be a, a, a podcast that will be out there of a, a, a morning devotional on Sunday. Sunday, but our weekend services this week are going to be those Friday night ones at, at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. So hope you'll make plans to join us. Uh, no midweek events this week because of Christmas. So youth and Impact and Forge, all that Wednesday night stuff uh, won't be happening this week. Be aware of that. And then uh, also uh, the, the teenagers are getting ready to head out right after the new year, that third week, uh, second week, I think, of January, they're headed out to winter camp. Um, And so the signups are live for that. You can go online, uh, young people, and sign up for that. Moms, dads, you wanna sponsor uh, a a young person to go to camp, winter camp this year, you can be a part of that as well. You can do all that uh, through the website, so good stuff. And then then I just wanna uh, thank us uh, as a church again. You know, uh, this time of year uh, needs emerge in our community, and we as a church, because we're so generous, are blessed to be able to meet a lot of those needs. Pastor Dave has been crazy busy the last few weeks, and uh, we served a family this week who uh, lost a father to COVID just a short time ago. We stepped in, filled up their pantry, replaced a lot of their appliances in their home, so God's in the middle of that. as well, over at the hospital, our health care workers, we took care of them by setting up a, a rest and recovery, a stress reduction room. You can find out more about that talking to Pastor Dave or stop by the hospital. But we got to do those kinds of things as a church. So for, thanks for helping us be a part of that. Thanks for making that happen. Um, grab your Bible, if you would, this morning and, and open it to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 1. And we're going to spend a little time together today. In the Christmas story, because God wants us again and again to touch the reality of what Christmas is about, and sometimes you know, with all the all the stuff that's swirling around our world, we we lose touch with the reality. And this morning, He has something very specific He wants to say to you. Do you remember a time in your life when you were uncool? Do you remember what that feels like? Now. You know, most of us probably feel that way now, all right? But do you you remember when you first began to feel that way? You know, maybe it was when you put on a sweater like this, but probably not. Probably it was when you were younger and you first began to be aware that there was this thing called cool or uncool, or, or to put it in adult terms, accepted or not accepted. Part of the in crowd or not part of the in crowd. Wanted or maybe not wanted so much. You know, in many ways, growing up is is a slowly dawning awareness of what's cool or not, of whether we're cool or not, of wondering whether we're accepted or cool or not. It starts very young. My wife, Rhonda, is teaching the preschoolers here in second service this morning, And uh, she's very popular among the preschoolers. They run to her, they love her, they cheer her. If they see her in the supermarket, they flock to her at the park, on the street, wherever. She's always getting mobbed by these preschoolers. Oh, Miss Teacher, Miss Rhonda. And they love her and everything until they move up to the next grade of class. At that point, they won't even look at her in the foyer because she's not cool anymore. She's the baby kid's teacher. (laughs) And you can begin to see this thing happen. And it's hilarious. Uh, Rhonda and I have been laughing about it for decades. That that feeling grows as we get older. Somewhere around late elementary, early middle school, boy, it, it gets kind of acute. Do you remember wondering whether you were cool or not? Wondering whether you were in the in crowd or not? Accepted or not? Wondering where you belonged, where you were wanted? I remember uh, I, I got caught kind of in a weird place in middle school because you know, I was very involved in sports and fairly good at it. And so I ran a lot of times with what you would call the jock crowd back in those days. But my heart, I really wanted to be in the library with my fellow nerds. Somebody say amen, right? <laughs> I really wanted to go in there and hang out with those that gang and do what they were doing. And, and, and But there was this tension because if my jock friends saw me hanging out in the library, like, what's wrong with you, Greg? What are you doing in there? And then my nerd friends, if I was hanging out at lunch with my jock friends, they were like, well, are you betraying us? Are you leaving us? Are we still your people? You know, I remember feeling caught in the middle of that and and wondering where I belong. Do you remember what it felt like to to feel that? You know, now I'm closing in on 60 and I'm in serious danger of just not caring whether I'm cool about anything or not anymore. Just don't, I don't know a single Taylor Swift song. Does that make me uncool? (laughs) See, you're all leaving me behind. That's how bad it's getting. I remember walking downstairs a couple of years ago and seeing my wife Rhonda sitting at the table with her laptop. And, and I said, hey, what are you doing, baby? She says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm chatting with mom. Her mom lives down in eastern Oregon. And I thought, oh, cool, you know, so I'm over there getting what I was getting out of the fridge, and I look over, and I notice that they're chatting on the computer. My first thought was, you know, you could chat with your phone, but I said, what are you doing? What program are you using there? Oh, it's a new cool chat program. I thought, well, you got your phone. Why would you need a chat program on your computer? She says, it's really cool. It's called Skype. (laughs) I said, oh, you're chatting with your mom on Skype. Yeah, this is cool. Look, we're in real time. I said, watch this. And I went over and clicked, and boom, they could see each other's faces. They were like, oh, wow, wow, look at you. Ah." (laughs) And I thought, we're not cool anymore, you know. We we are not being cool. We're not keeping up anymore. Let me ask you something, friends. How how important is it to you to feel cool, accepted, part of the in-crowd? How much of your, your emotions and your thinking and your feeling, your behavior, how much of that is is governed by this desire to be cool, to not be uncool? You know, if, if I could tell a story I'm not proud of, when I was in middle school, I had a friend, his name was Dennis. Dennis and I were buddies, we loved the same things, but... When I got into middle school, it slowly dawned on me that first year that Dennis was not what most people called cool. <laughs> In fact, most people called Dennis uncool. <laughs> most people tended to avoid him for a host of reasons. and Slowly, I became self-conscious about the fact that Dennis was often hanging out with me. I didn't want to be seen with an uncool person whether it was in the library or at lunch or wherever, I just, gosh. And, and it was even more acute because oftentimes Dennis would walk home from school with me because we had to go the same way mostly and then we'd divide there at the end. And, and so after school, he'd be waiting for me. And as all the kids were getting out and going on their buses and going their various ways, here's Dennis coming to me. and I became self-conscious about that. And one day I decided, you know, I've got to put an end to this. Otherwise, I won't be cool. I won't have any hope of being part of the cool crowd. And so on the way home, as we walked, I started saying things to Dennis designed to drive him away. And I had a problem in those days with fighting, and I started intimidating Dennis and threatening Dennis as if I wanted to pick a fight with him. And I succeeded on the way home in driving Dennis away. He, when we got to an intersection, he just turned and walked off. And at first, I remember thinking, okay, I got that accomplished. But it wasn't very far before I started wondering about what I had done. And I got home, and I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, did I just lose a real friend? And suddenly, my desire to be cool had become the most uncool thing imaginable. And I thought to myself, how am I going to overcome this? How am I going to deal with this? He's going to be there at school tomorrow. And how's that going to go? And the next day when I got to school and I was getting my stuff out of my locker, the most wonderful thing happened. Dennis came up beside me and said, hey, Greg, good morning, as if nothing had ever happened. And in that moment, a massive relief washed over me and a gladness that I had been saved, you might say, from what I was doing to myself and to Dennis. And, you know, we're friends to this day. I see him at high school reunions now sometimes, and if you can imagine, I'm still apologizing to him for that walk home that day. But we're friends. He's a believer. It's cool stuff. I share that story with you because Christmas is the story of God seeking uncool people. God seeking people who have made messes of their lives, who don't know how to be winners, who don't know how to be the in crowd, who don't feel like they belong. Christmas is about God seeking all of us who feel that way. And here's a secret. Everybody feels that way. Christmas is the story of God seeking us in our message. Listen to what the Bible says with me together for a few minutes, would you? Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Here's what the scripture says. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. They, They were engaged. It was a little stronger than that. It was called a betrothal in those days. But yeah, you get it. But before they came together, before they were intimate, before they 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 walked into the covenant of marriage together. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. In other words, a miracle had happened. A miracle was happening. Mary had become pregnant by an act of God. Now we know what was happening here with our 2020 hindsight. The word was becoming flesh. God was entering the world as a human being. That's why the virgin birth is so significant. That's why we call it the Immaculate Conception. But it was an easy thing for most people to disbelieve. Most people saw Mary pregnant and said, one plus one equals two. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And what's happening here is not of God. It's as ordinary as it could possibly be. Because her husband, Joseph, was a righteous man, catch that, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I want to pause for a moment. We're not going to dwell on this. But I marvel at this part of the Christmas story because of what it tells us about the heart of Joseph. You know, there there are lots of guys who feel like in order to preserve their reputation or their honor or whatever they want to call it, they have to push other people down. They have to expose other people. They have to separate themselves from those who are uncool, from those who've made messes. But Joseph wasn't like that. Joseph didn't need that The man that God chose to be the stepfather to his son was a man with a very different heart. A man who had in mind to just quietly handle this thing, not draw attention to it. And then the scripture goes on to say... After he had considered this, and there's a wonderful grammatical construct in here. In other words, Joseph thought about doing that, and then he went a step further and said, You know what? I'm going to take her home. I'm going to raise this child. I'm going to marry her anyway. After he had considered this, the Bible says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle. This is God stepping into the world. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. The name significant. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua, which means literally the Lord saves. And so, because we're reading a a Greek translation, we get it as Jesus. What God, the angel is saying is, is call this son the Lord saves. Be sure and give him this name because he will save his people from their sins. All this, the Bible says, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. In other words, God was always at work. God was always at work. Even now, even in your life, in my life, when we don't think so, the plan is being worked out. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and you are to call him, here's the second name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. I wonder what Joseph and Mary imagined when they heard that this Jesus, this son, miraculously born, was coming to save them. Try to imagine what they would have pictured that salvation to look like. They lived in a land that was occupied by a foreign army. And all around them, people were agitated, upset, divided, some actually acting out in rebellion, others supporting the rebellion, others living in the tension in between. It would have been easy, and in fact, most people did this to think that Jesus had come to save them from the government. Other people thought that Jesus had come to save them from trials and hardships, from difficulties, from the everyday struggle of life, or or maybe from from poverty or or bad self-esteem, or or maybe even from feeling bad. Uh, Anybody who knows what it is to be a parent would know that a good father doesn't want to save me from being bad sometimes, or save me from feeling bad, because sometimes when I feel bad, that's how I learn to be good. That's how I grow up. That's how I'm changed. But the angel was very specific. He said, Jesus has come to save the people from their sins. You know, here's a a Christian reality that we sometimes lose touch with. Most of the problems in my life are caused by me. Somebody say amen. (laughs) If not in their origin... Certainly in how I react to them, how I handle them, how I respond to them. Most of the time I make a a molehill into a mountain, make things worse by my reactions, by my poor decisions. But Jesus has come, the Bible says, to save the people, save his people from their sins. That's worth reflecting on. You know, most people today don't think of themselves as needing to be saved, that's because we've lost touch with the reality that all our stories are headed towards a moment of final judgment. The Bible is explicit that judgment is coming for everybody and for everyone. And in that moment, we aren't judged according to our politics. We're judged according to our sins. And the Bible says that Jesus came to save people from Their sins. A friend of mine told me about taking his son uh, and and his son's friend on a beach camping trip down in Northern California a couple summers ago. And he said, you know, the boys were so excited. We were going to go to the beach and camp. Normally we go up into the mountains somewhere, so this was new and different. They'd never done this before. They were jacked about it. They had their own tent. Dad had his own. And and the boys were so excited at, at camping by the ocean that when they set up their tents, they got down as close to the water as they possibly could and set up their tents. Dad said, you know, it's, it's a dad's prerogative to have fun at his son's expense. So he says, I said, I said to him, I said, hey, guys, you don't want to, the, the tide's going to come in. You want to p- bring your tent back here. But they were like, oh, it's so cool. So they sort of obeyed. They moved their tent back a little ways. Dad said, I decided this is going to be a particularly fun camping trip. and I just let him camp there. And he said, of course, they were in their tent later that evening when it got dark, and that tide came all the way in. And then they were hollering and screaming like little girls. It was glorious. (laughs) Sometimes we're like that. We forget the tide's coming in. And when we forget the tide's coming in, we forget that that tide is judgment. God hasn't forgotten that because he's a good father. So the angel said he will come to save his people from their Sins. You know, because of this tendency to ignore judgment, we lose touch with the significance of what's happening here. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that what we need to be saved from is everybody else's sins. But God knows better. God knows me better than that. To put this another way, What the angel is saying is that Jesus has come to save us from the messes we make for ourselves, from the problems we create for ourselves. Do you ever sometimes sabotage yourself and then wonder why? Bible says that's normal. That's the human condition. You can read about it over in Romans chapter 7. A friend of mine in youth ministry was talking recently about how he grew up in a a, a great home, not struggling with drugs or alcohol, depression or or violence or any of the brokenness that afflicts so many homes. So when he became a youth pastor and he started to meet so many teenagers who were dealing with all those things, he said at first his first reaction was to be puzzled. He thought to himself, why are you doing that? Just stop doing that. Don't, have you tried not doing that for a little while? But then slowly he began to understand that ministry isn't collecting people who don't struggle, but reaching out to people who do. You know, when I think of my friend Dennis, Dennis just hadn't figured out all the social you know, methods and rituals and routines. He hadn't figured out how to be cool. He hadn't figured out how to not say what he thinks sometimes. He hadn't figured out how to pretend that he was somebody other than he was. And as a consequence, as a consequence of that, he, he was kind of, uh, you know, perceived by many as being uncool, as being somebody who had made a mess. And I thought that the way to get ahead was to put distance between myself and such people. But what the Christmas story tells us is that's not how God feels, God draws near. God seeks people in those moments. God seeks you in your uncool moments, in your unaccepted moments, in your moments when you've made mistakes that have created labels, that have caused messes, and you're carrying them and you're living with them. In those moments, God seeks us. That's what Christmas tells us. What God is saying through the Christmas story is I'm coming to save you from the messes you've made for yourself. If you're sitting here this morning and you have a lot of messes in your heart, know this. That's why God seeks to draw near to you. He wants to touch you in the midst of those messes. He wants to save you from those messes. And that, that, that salvation is, is an important thing to grasp. I am coming to save you from your sins. See, here's what we've got to understand, friends, is that God doesn't hate sin because he made rules and we better obey them. He hates sin because of what it does to us. That's where his hatred comes from. He knows, for example, that, that sin is addictive. It steals away our self-control. It creates appetites in us that then dominate us. Jesus put it this way. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. God hates sin because of that, because of that. its power to do that to us, to, to take away our self-control. He hates sin because it's deceptive. It promises things it never delivers. It promises satisfaction. It promises joy. It promises fulfillment. It promises freedom, but it never delivers them. God's word puts it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, a man reaps what he sows. So the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature he will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. See, God seeks to save us from our sins because he knows that that every time we walk in sin, we're planting seeds that bear fruit. And by contrast, every time we walk in virtue, we're planting seeds. That bear fruit. The Bible tells us the story of Esau in Genesis chapter 25 who became so enslaved to his appetites that he sold his future away. Sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. It's a sad tragic story. And that's why God hates sin. That's why he comes to to save us from it. But most of all gang, most of all understand this. God hates sin because it separates us from him in a very specific way. Oftentimes we think that sin separates from God in the sense that when we sin, God puts a check mark in our file in heaven and now we're on the wrong side of the ledger. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that when Adam and Eve sinned, the first effect of sin was that they began to hide from God. They began to withdraw from Him. The Bible says that after they sinned, God came looking for them in the garden the same way that He had every other day. Any good parent understands that. And God came seeking Adam and Eve because his heart for them hadn't changed in the slightest, but they thought it had. And so what did they do? They sewed garments. They created false identities for themselves. They hid in the bushes from God. They hoped they wouldn't be noticed. What a foolish thing. And God came calling them and saying, hey, where are you? This is our time. This is when we normally meet here and now? Why are you hiding? See, what sin does to us is it makes us think God doesn't want us. It makes us believe that he doesn't desire us or to seek us. And and that can go so bad. You know, the story of Judas is tragic because he wasn't the only one who betrayed Jesus that night. All the disciples did one way or another. Peter in pretty dramatic fashion. But then, after having done that, Judas stopped believing Jesus wanted him. And the scripture says that his story ended in hopelessness, despair, and suicide. God hates sin because it makes us think he doesn't seek us, when in fact he does. And when we feel and think like that, we cut ourselves off from him. You know, that next day at middle school, uh, Dennis invited me over to his house. Hey, you want to come over, Greg? We'll play games this afternoon. I remember feeling, wow, just yesterday I was such an idiot. And you're just looking right past that. And I remember being so thankful for that and understanding that Dennis was my friend in a way I had never yet learned to be to him and being grateful for it. And God wants us to understand the same thing, that he seeks us. That's why he comes as a Savior. And he wants us to understand that through us he wants to reach other people like that other people like us, other people struggling with the messes they've made. You and me are tempted in the hurry and hustle of our lives to avoid people that are difficult because of their sins, that have made messes of their lives, that haven't learned to be polite or appropriate or timely or good or easy to be around. And so we we seek to avoid those people. God draws near to those people, and God draws near to you and me when we are those people. I have a friend of mine who I admire very much. He's in my small group, men's group, that we meet on Thursday mornings. And In his retirement, he's very well-off and well-known and popular. And If he wanted, he could always be hanging out with the cool kids. But every week, he drives to downtown Seattle to spend several hours in an emergency homeless shelter for street teenagers. And what does he do down there? He just spends time listening to them. Uh, he sits with them. He hears their stories. He talks with them. Sometimes he says he gets a chance to pray with them. But he goes down there to give his attention because he knows how important and significant that is. He knows that that's God's heart. Many of us say, wow, those folks have made messes of their lives. It's a hassle. It's too much work. It's too hard. And And there's more to those stories sometimes, but the Christmas story tells us that God seeks us in those moments. My friend understands that, and I admire him so much for that. Jesus put it this way. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Every time I read that, a part of me wants to go, duh. But it's easy to forget. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In middle school, I would have said, he's come to seek the uncool. And I'm glad for it because, you know, way down deep, I'm one of them. No matter how I may appear to you, we're all one of them. Imagine if Dennis invited me to his house that next day or came up to my locker that next day and I said, no, 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 I don't want you around. And what if I said that from my own shame? What if I said that from my own regret? I would have been cutting myself off from Dennis's friendship. My sin would have changed me to the degree that I cut myself off from his friendship. That's what God says he doesn't want to happen to you and I. That's why. Jesus comes to save us from their sins. To be saved from my sins means to be rescued from addiction, rescued from deception, and most of all, rescued from the belief that God doesn't want me and doesn't seek me. At Christmas, the angel said that we should call Jesus by two names, though. So as we get ready to close, let's take a moment to reflect on the other name. Our dog has a bunch of names. If you have a dog, they probably got more than one name, right? They got your, your, the name that you gave them, like our dog's official name. It's on her, her Border Collie papers. She's Eleanor Mavis Dalton. I came up with that myself. How outstanding is that, right? Eleanor. But she goes by Ellie most of the time. We call her Ellie most of the time. But you know what? She's earned a whole bunch of other nicknames that she gets called every day. Uh, you know, maybe the most common is dumb dog. Hey, dumb dog, what are you doing? You know, uh, We call her Frady cat. She has a special fear of real estate signs. I don't know what that's all about, but she, she's afraid of real estate signs, so we call her Frady cat. Rhonda calls her og day, which, you know, trying not to hurt her feelings by calling her stupid dog. We call her hair farmer because she is definitely that. We call her Stinky. We call her Hal, which is short for halitosis because her breath has earned that title. In the same way, Jesus has more than one name and he earns them both. You shall call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. How do you feel when you know somebody wants to be with you? That's a good feeling. That creates relationship. That creates friendship. When you know that somebody actually desires to be with you. At the end of the day, saved from their sins means to be saved from the lie that God doesn't want to be with you. And especially that he wants to be with you in your worst moments. The angel didn't say... He's Emmanuel once you put your sins behind you. He said he's Emmanuel in the middle of your mess. He wants to be right there with you in the middle of it. Doesn't it feel good when you know that someone wants to be with you despite your flaws? I was at a, an event in our church recently, and and some folks were volunteering to serve at that event. They were handling some of the food preparation and, and table waiting and... Um, Uh, These folks I've known for some years, they're they're believers, and they have learned how to be the cool kids. They've learned how to keep their ducks in a row, be appropriate, be well-received. But during the course of that serving time, they met another person who was also serving that night. And this other person was was deep in their messes. This other person was recently homeless and had only just barely escaped that condition, was wrestling with a host of challenges in their lives because of a broken life. And These friends of mine, when they heard that story, they they didn't know it at all. They heard that story, and immediately their hearts went out, and they said to this other person, hey, we've got a mother-in-law place at our house. Why don't you move in for Christmas? Why don't you move in and be part of our family's Christmas? And the person that they said that to was so profoundly moved. You want me? You want me to be at your place? You want me to be with your family? And it was a a, a beautiful moment. That's what God wants us to understand about his desire for us at Christmas. That's what Emmanuel means. That's what Jesus means. I... uh, I read a story this week about a woman named Mary Daniel. A couple of years ago, Mary and her husband, Ed, who had been married for almost 40 years, began to wrestle with a, a health challenge. You see, Ed was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and that began to be harder and harder in their home. Eventually, it got to the point where where Mary just couldn't handle all that Ed needed at home by herself every day. And so they got to the point where she had to make the the wrenching decision to to have Ed in a long-term memory care facility. So he was moved into it. The two of them being deeply in love, not one day went by that she wasn't down at the memory facility, spending most of the day there with Ed. But then... Life threw them a curveball. This was just two years ago and COVID hit. And suddenly that long-term memory care facility was closed and she couldn't get in. She couldn't visit it. She couldn't attend. And that was hard. That was difficult because she desperately wanted to be with him. She she tried everything. She tried seeking exceptions of various kinds. She tried even some sneaky stuff, and, and none of it would work. And the days began to pile up, days that she couldn't be with Ed. 114 days went by. And it wasn't enough just to talk to him through a window or talk to him on the phone because as his Alzheimer's condition advanced, what he really benefited more from was presence, not just conversations. Sometimes those conversations, he didn't even know who he was talking to. But when she was with him, he always knew. So all those months went by and she was so desperate to be with him. And then, and then she figured it out. You see a dishwasher job came open at the senior care facility. And even though she was in her 60s now and not as strong or as full of energy as she once was, she applied for the position, she burned up the phone lines. she badgered the staff until they agreed to hire her as a dishwasher. And to this day now, she is able to go every day to that memory care facility just to be with Ed even though it involves washing dishes half a day, every day. You see, church, that's how God feels about you and me. That's what Christmas means, is that God is so desperate for us to know He's for us. He's with us. He wants to be with us. He's so desperate for us to know that, that He would incarnate and become one of us. He won't just shout it from heaven. He won't just zap us with special effects, magic shows. No, he comes among us as one of us that we might know him as he is. And love like that, love like that only asks one thing. It asks that we would be willing to receive it. That's, that's what love wants. When Mary goes to the care facility, all, all she wants to do is, is be with Ed. And God asks us to receive what he offers at Christmas because it's a gift, because it's given freely, because it's from his heart. You know, I I talked about Dennis a moment ago, and if, if I was unwilling because of my shame or my regret, my failures, if I was unwilling to receive him when he came back to my locker, when he invited me to his house, I would have cut myself off from who he is. God doesn't want you and I to do that, so he frames this Christmas story in a way that makes us able to receive him. Down deep, that cool and uncool thing we wrestle with is really about whether, knowing whether or not we're wanted or not. And Christmas tells us that God wants me. And God wants you. And all he asks is, is that we receive his love. Have you done that? Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Have you let him save you from yours? It's a gift that he offers. All you have to do is be willing to receive it. If you've never done that, you can do that. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and you'll have that opportunity. And here's the last thing I want to say, is that we heard about Jesus' names in the Christmas story this morning, but here's, here's the rest of the story. He wants to change yours. He wants to change yours. Once upon a time, I thought of Dennis as uncool. Now I think Dennis is one of the coolest people I know. God wants to change that in you. And it happens when you bring him your sins. Let him save you from them. Let him enter into your moment. Be God with you. Then he changes your name. You begin to look in the mirror and see somebody different. Here's my last story. In middle school, one of the things that was hard for me to do was remember my locker room combination in the gym. <laughs> we never had lockers before grade school. All of a sudden, I've got two. One in the hallway, one in the lockers. All I could do to remember the one in the hallway I was always forgetting the one in the locker. You say, write it down and put it in your pocket. Yeah, tell a sixth grader to do that and see how well it goes. I would get to gym class every day and, I don't know, my locker combination It's supposed to change in my gym clothes. I can't. And so I'd have to go to the gym teacher, Mr. Du Bois, who was just like the archetypal evil, wicked gym teacher. Scared everybody to death. Right? Uh, I don't know. And, he, oh, and he'd go in there and he'd open his book in his office and get my combination, give it to me again, write it down on a piece of paper. Don't lose this. Yeah, good luck. Right. So this happened, I don't know, half a dozen times, and every time it was just horror and misery for me to go in front of the whole class and stand there and go, I don't have my locker combination. So finally, I got in there one day and I decided, you know what, (laughs) I'm going to overcome this with my bold, daring ways, and I figured out how to break into his office to get my locker combination. (laughs) actually climbed up through the ceiling and down through the tiles and into his locker to get his little... And and I'm standing there trying to find my name with the locker combination when you know what happens, right? He walks in. Horror, terror. And I'll never forget what he said in the look on his face. What are you doing? You're a thief. All the other kids standing there. You're a thief. And I remember thinking... Oh, no. But at that moment, another teacher, the English teacher, was walking by, and he heard that, and he stepped in. And he just assessed the situation in a moment, and he, oh, no, no, he says, Greg's not a thief. He probably forgot his locker combination again. Jim, give him his locker combination, he goes off. But that teacher put his hand on my shoulder and said, I know you're not a thief. God wants to do that with you. It happens when you receive him as your Savior. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Christmas story that reveals you. God, some of us have never received your love. We've never received you as our Savior. If that's you this morning, just know this. God is listening to your heart right now. And you can say today, right here and right now, God, I want you to be my Savior. Jesus, I want you to save me from the messes I've made. The moment that you say that to him, love rushes in. The Spirit of God rushes into you. That can happen right here and right now. Go ahead, he's listening. Father, we thank you for what the Christmas story reveals about your heart for us. And God, we pray that you would send us out into this week with eyes wide open for those that don't know you, those that are far from you, those you're seeking. Send us into this Christmas with that heart, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Just nudge your neighbor if they drifted off there during the message. uh, When one follower of Jesus says to another, Merry Christmas, it's special. So I hope you'll say that a lot this week. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love him, have a great afternoon. See you on Friday. Mm -hmm.